Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, Tractor Zoom delivering insights. If you are in the equipment business or have equipment that you're looking to sell, especially in the situation they're in right now, if you're looking at what the market's doing, trend lines that are developing, what inventory looks like out there on auction, where the hot spots are going to be at, I really recommend that you guys go check out Tractor Zoom's Iron Comps. And if you're interested in using that at checkout, use Moving Iron at checkout and you'll get yourself a nice little discount. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And Sean is nice enough to come on once a week to talk about what's going on in the market. And Sean, there is, uh, we have two weeks worth of rallies around two cold events uh, that were cold weather events that weren't supposed to be any kind of major deal. And Shocker, they were. So we had last week we had a run up in in wheat and some other uh, associated crops, corn and soybeans. Kind of followed that up. Yesterday was some news coming out of uh, France last week about the cold snap that they had there in some key wheat growing areas. And then we've had this week here in the, in the Midwest where we've had some pretty strong um, cold weather for this time of the year, um, snow, frost, those kind of things on some planted corn. Obviously, wheat uh, down in in Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas is starting to. Uh, bear the fruits of of what this uh february cold weather event came through and, and some of that winter kill effect that we may may start to see and uh everything has rallied this week very strong um on on the grain side protein side's a whole nother conversation we're going to get to that later but let's talk about the wheat market here real quick and what you see happening there yeah we, we, we've talked about this a lot casey that the weather models are warm biased they never see the cold until it's already on top of you, and they go, "Oh yes, see there now it's cold." And <laughs> and that that this is a consistent feature, as you know, we've talked about this. Yep. They don't aren't looking at the right variables, and they're always getting surprised, you know, that these weather events are, are colder than they were uh, anticipating. And um, and it's really a good uh, microcosm of what to expect next winter. You know, it, this is actually quite frankly. Although it's, we're getting some cold we haven't seen in a while and some unusual aberrant behavior, it's really not a big deal compared to what we think is going to happen next winter. So this is a good trial run of how disruptive cold weather can be at this time of the year for a lot of different markets and how the markets could get surprised and react um, you know, the way they are. Now, last week, this three-day 
soft frost event in Europe, 85% of the crop got clipped on this. Uh, you know, then here in the U.S. now, we've got two days or almost three nights of another soft frost um, at, at a much more vulnerable time in development of the wheat crop uh, than if it's in dormancy. And so, you know, throwing some drought, some dry conditions that we've had in a lot of these areas, um, drought in Brazil's second crop corn, which is now moving into irreversible damage. Um, you know, you, you have yourself a situation where uh, everything's falling apart production-wise. Every, everybody thought, oh, at least we're going to have a, a good wheat crop to, to take care of maybe some of the, the short corn feed supplies. It's not happening. Oh, maybe a good Brazilian corn crop, second corn crop is going to help alleviate the corn shortage. Now that's not going to happen. So we're sitting here with the USDA still too high on corn ending stocks at 1.3 or whatever it is. When it's really 1.1, one, you know, our view, it's really a billion or less. And we're entering the growing season, which we think we haven't even traded the U.S. drought cycle yet, Casey. I think that's the point. We haven't, yeah. we haven't gotten there yet. We're already at $6 corn right. already. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I've been paying attention to as well as I, I look at these drought models and these things that are happening. And yet we've gotten some good, we've got some really good moisture across the Midwest. But is it one of those too little too late type of scenarios where it, I think, I think some of the, the people that are looking at this, the, the the news folks, those kind of people that are looking at this, the top couple feet of of uh, soil is good and wet, but it's that it's that next two or three feet underneath that that are bone dry, and that's that's the situation that we're running into. Is that as that stuff works its way down and spreads out, there's not enough subsoil moisture out there right now to to really help along into this in this hot snap that we're going to see coming uh, that you've talked about several times on this program. Uh, coming here in in May and in, into June, and we're going to be following with this. Is actually something the uh, NOAA puts out. I believe it is. It's called the Evaporation Index, and it and it takes into consideration not only the heat but the wind and how quickly topsoil moisture evaporates. Yeah. And and your point is is very true. We have no subsoil, deep subsoil moisture. We only have surface subsoil moisture, and you get. You know, a, a week of hot, windy weather or with the evaporation index is high, and, and that's just gone. Mm -hmm. It's just gone, and it's called, that's what they call flash drought. You get a flash drought because right. if you don't have the deep subsoil to overcome that, you quickly go into a flash drought, and, and, and already, and, and very quickly, you get yourself into a situation where the stress is on the plants. And that's what we're going to be seeing, Casey. Correct. We've got some moisture. It's a good thing. It's going to make the early, the, the, the early emergence from planting look okay, but it's going to only a couple of weeks of hot, dry, windy weather, and we're going to be looking at stress immediately kicking in. Whereas for five, six, seven, eight years, when we had abundant subsoil, you could go a month and, and not really show extreme stress because you had that subsoil that was allowing the crop to keep going. We do not have that luxury and, mm -hmm. and, and we have not rebuilt those supplies and we're not going to rebuild those supplies. So that's really your point perfectly stated that that's really the issue this year is that topsoil isn't going to, unless you keep getting these regular rains, it's not going to allow the crop to continue without, all you need is a really quick shot of hot, dry, windy weather and we're in, we're in, a, we're in a pickle and that's not going to, that's, that's, that's going to come, you know, in the not too distant future. So Yeah, well lucky for us in the Midwest and the high plains, the wind never blows. So we're everything's gonna be <laughs> everything's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah, it's uh that's 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 the thing about the wind. I mean, especially what we see like in my neck the woods out here where in Kansas back where I grew up at, you know, there's there's a lot of 
a lot of days where a, a slight breeze is 10 to 15 miles an hour you know what i mean so it's yep. that that kind of hot dry and i've watched it all my life come in and rain you know we get an inch of rain overnight and then you know that's 100 degrees the next day and the wind's blowing 20 30 miles an hour and it's like it never rained by the end of the day you know it's that's yeah, like yeah. it's it's the most incredible thing to watch happen all right so let's talk about the wheat price where we're at right now so wheat um i'm looking at my kind of history here the close on friday hard red winter wheat was up one and a half cents and it was at 609 and a quarter so flash forward to this morning here look at the overnights and it is up right now at 638 and a quarter up seven and a half overnight so where so you've talked about wheat and and kind of the correlation back to some minneapolis minneapolis wheat prices that we saw you know 10 years ago when we saw those um blew off top 25 dollar bushel um, numbers start coming through there um when is the market really going to start to pay attention to what's going on are we talking like mid-may as as the combines have rolled through north texas and into oklahoma and they're starting to see these these you know full heads that that we see out in the field right now but as they start running through there's not the berries in the heads that we think there's going to be yeah i mean it, it, the only way you could ever know the extent of any winter kill or frost event is Get out in the field and see what you got. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that with wheat, that's always been the case, and and I and, and I do believe that's going to be a, a kind of a a wake up moment for the market because they they still believe it's going it's it, we're going to have a good crop out there, and 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 I just think it's going to come up way way short at a time where we desperately need those supplies right now, and um, and then on top of it, for Minneapolis spring wheat, you know, up there and you know in the Dakotas, I mean, if, if you know, we, it's still a chance to get some rain. To, to, to alleviate the drought that's up there. But I mean, it, it you know, we're, we're getting close to where if we don't get rain, you know, by, you know, first part of May, you know, we start to just have, you're going to have a zero on some of those acres up there, like zero, mm -hmm. if, if, if you don't get the rain at the right time. So, you know, that could, you know, that's, you know, and because there's no natural replacement for high protein spring Minneapolis wheat, you know, you can always, you know, Casey wheat can always be substituted with Minneapolis. It's sometimes high quality, but I mean, with Minneapolis wheat, it, it, it is really nowhere else to go. So that's why we had that $25 market. Oh, in 08, we just had that kind of a drought at the wrong time. There was, and, and, and it's who's going to pay up and who's, who's not. And so Minneapolis wheat's all, it's a more illiquid market. So you don't need as much money to chase that market to make it take off. Really need to follow that market, Casey, to see if, uh, you know, we're not quite there yet, but, you know, if if these drought maps and these um, weather mark uh, uh, the weather pattern doesn't look like it's going to show any meaningful rain, you know that market you know, that market was eight dollars a few years back. When we had a bear market in, in commodities still. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think can really go. And of course, you know, if if Minneapolis wheat goes, KC wheat, which is our next high protein market, follows along, it, it just becomes a feeding frenzy. So wheat market looks really, really. Good to us. Winter wheat wins because of what you just said, recognition of what actually took place. It wins because the world is desperately needs to keep themselves fed and they're getting worried. It wins because the market is desperately looking for alternative feed to corn. It wins. Like it wins on multiple fronts. You're going to win on the KC winter wheat market for those reasons. And so, and quite frankly, we don't think we're done with weather issues for KC wheat. We still think some hot, dry weather can come in the latter part of heading to still clip the crop even further. 
So, so right now we're dealing with the cold, but in another couple of weeks, we're going to be dealing with, we think, some pretty hot, dry conditions that are going to worry the market for a, for a different reason. You know, right. so, so it's, just, it's just a compounding. I guess what I'm getting at is that Mother Nature continues to put pressure in every region constantly. It's not, letting, it's not letting up. And this is the cycle we're in that we've been talking about for years that we're just going to have this weather volatility, ongoing weather extremes that's not going to let the market uh, take a breather or, or get that window where you can actually have a good crop. It's going to be one thing after another after another. And even if you get a correction like we had in wheat, it's only going to be brief because Mother Nature is going to come back and kick in the teeth. And it did exactly that from two weeks ago. Yep. Exactly that. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about corn and soybeans and then that effect that we're seeing right now on cattle prices. Right now, corn and soybeans had a great run this week. I think last time I looked, you know, I think this morning soybeans are, November beans are 13, 19 up, eight and three quarters overnight. And May beans are up, uh, 15 and a quarter at, at uh, 15, 15, 12 and a half. <clears throat> when I look at this, and then you start watching the correlation between uh, the, the, the prices that we're seeing for wheat, corn, soybeans, and then we had that run up to that 123 range, 124 range in, in cattle prices, and now we're starting to see them come back down. Right now I'm looking at my uh, live, live cattle for June right now are 17 and a quarter. Um, or 17, 117.25, and, you know, that's down quite a bit. They've had a really kind of a rough week as you start to take a look at that, and it's, it's a direct correlator back to what we're seeing on the commodity side. So as you take a look at corn, soybeans, and then that effect that we're seeing on, on the feed side and what that's doing to the cattle market, what's your thoughts right now as you take a look at that cattle market moving into summer? You know, it's kind of a classic fear over herd liquidation cycle. We've talked about this concept that in the feed market, when the, when the feed markets really take off, you know, and, and the price of, of livestock doesn't compensate you for it, you just don't feed the animals anymore. You send them, you send them to the, you send them to the to the packers and say, "I'm done. You know, I'm not going to do this anymore." And of course, that's extra supply that comes onto the market. The big worrisome for livestock is really the new crop is really starting to take off now. You know, there's this concept. Okay, I can I can afford expensive feed today, but if, you know, as long as it's cheap, the, I got cheap feed later in the year, I can blend it in, make it work. It's good. But now, new crop soybeans, new crop corn, t- start to go parabolic, and now those cheap prices are. We talked about how those deferred prices were yeah. unbelievably mispriced, and that livestock producers should be locking those in as left and right, including December 22. I think we talked about it in your program at 409. They're 460 yeah. now. Right. So. Um, so that's really what's worrisome is now everyone's like, oh my gosh, now these new crop prices are running away. And if we have a drought cycle here in the U.S., now that the Brazilian second crop corn is not going to deliver, why can't new crop corn go to where old crop corn is right now? You know, if old crop corn is here because we have almost no corn and we have a drought cycle, well, that means we're going to have no corn for December for next summer as well, right? So why wouldn't December... 21 corn be in the sixes. So right. I, like, like I, I just, it, I think it, we could very, very quickly see that new crop corn price come into balance with old crop because it, everyone, the, I, we don't see that we're going to have this oversupply. And, and, and soybeans the same way. If we got $15, $14 soybeans now, then why should we have low 13 new crop soybeans? It doesn't make any sense why we should, unless you expect a big crop, you know, we, as you know, Casey, we're very clear that this is not the year 
for the big crops in the U.S. And we're going to quickly get into this late May, June, July cycle. And, the, and everyone's going to be worried about, oh, my gosh, it's hot, it's dry. Crop conditions are terrible. And they're going to have to price in very, very quickly. No supply for next season. And that means those new crop prices, even today, are still a great value, even though they've run up a lot. They're nowhere near as good as they were. They're still a great value relative to where we think prices are going and relative to where old crop prices are telling you they should go if we have a serious drought cycle problem that we, th that we think is clearly coming. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's problematic. So you have the yin and the yang. Yes, you, you get the big sell-off in the summer and the fall. Uh, you liquidate those animals. Um, you, t you do what you got to do. Then we have the big, you know, we have some kind of blow-off top in the summer. Then we have a big break in grains. Then you have the wild crazy move in livestock prices when there's no animals everybody wants to eat beef and pork and chicken and everything else and then the packing houses start bidding up for the animals and then you have what we had in 2013-14 right. yeah. uh, you know in 2010-11 we had these parabolic rises yeah. throw in throw in I don't know throw in an animal disease somewhere in the world mm -hmm. and, you, and, and you have all time record high prices for livestock in you know later on in 22-23 that's our forecast yeah so. yeah I remember that I mean we came off those really high commodity prices and as they started to slide down from 2012-13-14 the cattle prices took off and went up there and we were you know 130 140 dollars you know and and next thing you knew we were in the, in the equipment business couldn't sell a combine anybody but we could sure sell loader tractors every every uh cattle producer out there so yeah there's a there's a swing in what we see there so how does rice play into all this you know that's that's the next crop that we look at that's that kind of interchangeable with with wheat to kind of how that ebbs and flows through there when wheat goes up you know you know rice kind of starts to play that play that mix but as you've talked about here a few times the rice market is kind of in a similar situation the rest of the stuff is drought those kind of things are all are all driving that market as well yeah i mean uh wheat tends to be the leader between mm -hmm. the two it tends to go first and then and then the rice market because then it says oh my gosh we, we, we can't afford wheat and what wheat makes so so let's rush and go buy the rice that we can and so there tends to be so if you look at what happened in the 0708 market you know the, the the wheat market went parabolic the rice market did nothing and all of a sudden Boom! You know the rice market just just took off and and played catch up, and so we're expecting to see the same thing here. There's really uh, uh, you know a couple of things going on here. Number one is a substitution demand factor with wheat. Right. Second thing is is that China, you know, is aggressively substituting wheat feed and rice feed in replacement for corn feed because they just don't have any corn. They just don't have any corn. Um, and and so so. That's starting to happen not only there, but other places in Asia and elsewhere. And so not only do you have this huge surge of human consumption demand, I'm worried about feeding my family, I'm worried about starving, which is a huge demand, uh, visceral feeling like we had during the virus where wheat and rice were the only two markets that rose during that crash period because everyone's wanted to have access to feed, uh, to, to actual human food. But then you have this, you know, well, right now, rice and wheat feed are cheap compared to other alternatives. So... These two demand drivers are shoving into the market as we continue to have these weather problems, uh, you know, taking place in the U.S. specifically. You know, acres are going to be down at least 20 percent, um, and we're going to have the same kind of weather issues here in rice-growing areas of you know weather volatility and weather problems. We already had a very poor crop down in South America due to drought, um, and of course we're, we're coming off the heels of the terrible uh, Chinese crop due to flooding last year. 
they have become a major net importer of rice after being a net exporter of rice for the last five years. They, they've, they've switched very, very quickly to being a major net importer of rice. So, so the rice market is, is on pins and needles. And the, and the more this wheat market moves higher, it puts pressure under the rice market to eventually have an explosion higher. And so the rice market is a, is a kind of a market waiting to go off here, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a typical delay fashion. So, so if I was a, someone that needs to be a cash buyer of rice, if I'm on the buyer side of rice, boy, I think that is you know, one of the best values in the grain complex right now. If I'm looking and thinking you know, out three to six months and how am I going to handle my needs if I'm a rice buyer, rice is something you definitely do not want to let get, get away from you here. So. Yep. All right, so export report today uh, that will come out here later this afternoon or I guess this morning. And I guess is there. there's so many moving parts right now when you start looking at exports. There's the trucking issue we got in the U.S. There's the container thing. There's all these different things we got going on. As you step back and look at this this export report that we're going to see now, I mean, is there anything that's out there that's going to jump out and shock you right now? I mean, it sounds like everyone's just kind of trying to find any corner of a, of a cupboard that's still got something in it that they can go get their hands on. You know, I mean, I, I don't really think the export market thing is going to change. Uh, first of all, remember, we weren't expecting to get any supplies out of Brazil until July anyway. Correct. Right? Yep. So now we're going to have a, a fit. Now we're going to have this terrible crop. So now those supplies are going to be much, much reduced. But remember, we weren't going to get those supplies anyway. So, so there's really no way that we were going to expecting to see corn exports, you know, crash and burn. Uh, at least until July, um, and that was assuming they were going to have a big crop. Now we're pricing in they're not going to have a big crop. So now we're pricing in that the exports that we thought were going to be big in July are not going to be big. Um, so, so to me, it, I don't see the exports. The only reason why the exports would slow down is because we just don't have any to sell to anybody. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, if we're if if I if we're right that we're at a billion bushel or under a billion bushel, what we already knew, and, and if demand increases further, I mean, how much more corn can we really sell, Casey? Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, at some point, someone's not going to pay seven or eight dollar corn. They're just gonna say, you know what? We're just not going to. Right. Cows going to cow, cow the cow the cattle's going to the market. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. The corn syrup plants is closing down. The ethanol plants closing down. We're just going to not we're not paying eight dollar corn. So. We're gonna we're gonna rapidly get to a point where the markets say, you know what, we're just gonna sh we're not we're not paying that. Now I'm, I'm not saying I'm smart enough to know exactly what that is. I know we know what happened in 08 and where that was in 2012. Every year, every time is different. You know, maybe it'll be ten dollar corn before they do that. I, I don't know, but it's not gonna take much longer for that demand destruction to kick in. Quite frankly, that's what we need to do right now. We need to we need to get demand down so we can get through this period and see. What the heck the U.S. crops actually going to turn out to be, mm -hmm. um, and, and and the sooner we start doing that, the better I think, because the longer we keep demand going, the more extreme the supply shortage is going to be later if we if we don't stop this demand in its tracks as right now. Right. So, do you feel like we're headed into some uncharted territory if if things come together this summer like we're talking about? We've had felt. Next year would be the year that we would enter that kind of a market mm -hmm. because of the anomaly of the winter and, and the shortage and that sort of thing. Um, you know, given what's happened with Brazil corn, you know, it looks really bad, Casey. I mean, you know, we're looking at the moisture numbers. We're looking at the ratings. We're looking at the crop conditions. You know, it looks really bad, like really, really bad. Um, that may tip the scale to where we might see something m more intense this summer than we were originally anticipating. 
um, if if uh, if our if our forecast for a really really hot dry July takes place, which we think it's going to, we could get pretty, something pretty crazy here. I mean, we, we really we just don't. I mean, we're really running. We could run out here mm-hmm. if we're not careful. The way things are going, we could actually run out of old crop corn. Like there's not a seller out there. There's there's really no price that someone wants to sell. I mean, right. soybeans. I think we're already there. I mean, we're already we're looking at May going into the 15s. It could be 18. I mean, it's, right. I, I don't really think there's anything to sell there, really. Right. So so could we be going doing something really you know crazy and unimaginable? I, I, it's possible. It's possible here. It, you know, in, unless there's some dramatic change in the weather pattern in Brazil out of nowhere that saves the crop somehow or demand just, I, I don't know, Casey, it's not look good to me. Or, or I'm totally wrong about the drought cycle. You know, mm-hmm. my, mother, my climate cycle algorithm has just totally, totally missed it. And it's, we have a great crop and everything looks good. You know, unless something really unexpected happens on the weather front, which I don't think it's going to happen, I don't know. It's, it's just hard to see this market you know, this potential is there for something really, really crazy. You know, something that, you know, you don't want to, you know, go out there and project to everyone. But I mean, you could look be looking at at a number that is just, I don't know, really un, unimaginable potentially. It could right. be that. And then you couple if if the the fall and the winter take place like we're like we're uh, like you've been talking about and and uh, roll into the spring of of twenty two and what that looks like. Um, could be even more amplified than, than what we see now as you start looking a year or two down the road. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, um, we, don't, we don't see the weather letting up until after 2022. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's when we see the, you know, we see things kind of backing off a little bit. Um, but between now and then, we just think the weather's going to actually get worse, uh, not better. So it, it just comes down to, you know, how quickly can we shut demand down? How, how willing will the demand be willing to shut down? And, and even, you know, I mean, are we, we going to shut down the entire ethanol industry? Can that actually happen? I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. Can it? You know, is China going to stop buying corn from us because it's eight? I don't know. I don't know if they care if it's eight. You know, I, you know, Where else are they going to get it? I mean, it's kind of one of those, that's that yin and the Yeah, I mean, is, <clears throat> is, every, is every livestock producer going to sell every animal they have? Of course not. Right. You know? I mean, you know, you're not you're gonna you're not going to do that. So, so I, I don't really, I really think we're entering uncharted. I mean, uncharted waters here a little bit, Casey, with this demand base. You have to think this through. ASF, you know, the African swine fever caused mm-hmm. this big time change in how China feeds its hogs and its livestock. It went from 50,000 backyard farms feeding scraps from the table to the pigs and whatever they get their hands on and growing, all, and growing 50% of all the pork production that way to, you know what, we can't do that anymore. We have to get our control over the hog herd. We've got to get in the, into the big corporate farms, the big producers where we can biometric everything. We get our hands around it and we're going to feed everything a high quality feed, bean meal, corn feed, wheat feed, so that we avoid... The, these unsanitary conditions that we can keep ASF at bay or, or prevent it from getting worse. And so we're having this massive recalibration of feed demand in China. It's a, it's a step up. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're, we're, not at the, we're not at the top of that. We're, we're, we're still in the, the escalation phase. So how do you stop that? At, you know, what price of corn stops that? I, I don't know. We're going we're gonna to find out. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Yes, we are. <laughs> but 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 then on, then on top of it, on top of it, the virus came in mm-hmm. and made everyone worry that if we don't have supplies in house in our country, in our bins, we may not be able to get it from the international community because the shipping's all screwed up. You know, there's a trade war. You know, we're going to you know. This kind, there's a ban on Mexico because they don't like us anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, now everyone's worried about, you know, I better get what I can today while they're still willing to sell it to me because who knows if I can get it when I really need it. Right. So this, this, this hoarding demand, this need to have supplies in-house is another step up in demand from the just-in-time inventory that we've been dealing with for 20 years. It's a massive double-pronged demand uh, phase moving higher at the same time, at exactly the time that Mother Nature is sticking it to us. It's really, and on top of it, we've just printed $25 trillion. uh, Central banks have just printed $25 trillion, and we have liquidity like we've never seen before in the history of liquidity in the financial system, throwing that on the top. So, So to say that I can predict how high we could go, I can't. I don't know what that looks like, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if we go much, much higher than we've ever gone before. You know, look at lumber, you know. Yeah. It had never been higher than 500, and now yeah. we're at 1,300, mm-hmm. uh, thousand board feet. You know, palladium, you know, never, never been higher than $400 an ounce. Now it's at $2,500 an ounce. I mean, I'm not, I'm just throwing things out to you that some, some weird things are starting to happen in markets, you know, and, and so, you know, can, you know, I know this, you know, one analyst on market to market a few uh, months ago, uh, Sue Martin, you know, talked right, about yep. pretty high prices. And she's a really, really well thought, you know, intelligent, really good ag thinker. I mean, she doesn't just say stuff just because she has nothing better to do with her life. I mean, she's a really high quality analyst. I may not agree with some of her numbers, but, but you know, I think she's kind of sensing that maybe something crazy could happen here with what she's seeing and, and I'm seeing it too. And you know, I don't know if her numbers are right, but I think her concept of price is higher than we, than we can fathom are, are on the table. If we get the right sequence of events. Right. So, yeah, it's uh that, that article is not so, uh, not so crazy. <laughs> that's so crazy. Now I remember when that came out, I was like, wow, that's either someone. Well, I remember, yeah. I remember on market to market a few years back, I made that. I thought corn could hit eight in the 21, uh, 22 timeframe. Uh, back then I said, because, you know, I thought we'd have inflation kicking in, mm-hmm. China would be the largest importer of corn and we'd have substantial increase in weather volatility. All things are happening. And it looks like my dollar corn forecast, which I was chastised at the time for making is on the table now. Right. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> now, right. Now, now I don't, now I don't look so, now I don't look as stupid as I looked, you know, several years ago and making that forecast when everyone thought, you know, corn would, you know, could never have a bull market ever again. But, but I guess what I'm getting at is. Right now, we're in a situation where if I'm a buyer of these things, you've got to protect yourself right now. You, you think $5 corn is high? It may be the best deal in town right now. And, and you, you just need to make sure that you're not left at the altar with a $10 cash market and you don't have any. I mean, you just have to really be careful, uh, Casey, not to get lured into the idea these prices are too high and to come right back down. You know, maybe you get a correction. Maybe you get a chance. Maybe you don't. Right. You know, maybe you don't. Yep. Well, interesting. Good stuff as usual, Sean. Um, 
this was this was probably the funnest podcast I think we've done together. So this this is uh, a lot of good information came out of this one here. So folks yeah. want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you do at Hackett Financial and how you could help their operation. What's the best way to do that? Our website is at Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors dot com. You know we have some interviews with you, market to market interviews, sample reports, all kinds of things to let your viewers see what we do to see if what, how our, we look at things might be of value to your listeners. Right on. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironllc.com. That's where you're going to find the entire library of the Moving Iron Podcast, as well as any blog posts that I have out there. Uh, they'll be all posted there for you to check those out. Also, go to that website if you're interested in attending the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. That will be September 15th to the 17th. And uh, up in the upper right-hand corner, just click the Moving Iron Summit tab. Get all the agenda information, all the information about uh, rooms, those kind of things. And also, if you're looking through that agenda, you're going to see that Sean Hackett's on the on the docket there. And he's going to have a great presentation about uh, kind of what we're seeing start right now. And, and by the time he's given that presentation, we'll have a pretty good window to the world. So, Sean, talk about that, that report a little bit that you're going to give to the to the people there. Well, what's going to be great about that timing is we're going to we're going to know for sure exactly what happened this summer, where we're sitting mm-hmm. with prices, with supply and demand, with everything, and we're going to be able to lay out a, a you know what we we try to we're going to lay out the trajectory of weather going forward over the winter and the spring in the northern hemisphere, um, which we think is you know as we've been saying on your program quite a bit is that we we're expecting a real some of the cold weather extremes we've been seeing just in the last couple of months, which, you know, seem anomalous that seem, you know, that they're out of whack or are actually going to be very commonplace uh, next uh, winter and spring. And so preparing people for that, what does that look like? What could it mean? What kind of additional supply shocks could be had? And, um, and, and, and where, um, you know, how would one be able to, how would one get through that as a farmer, as a producer, as an end user, to, to get through this, which we think could be a pretty chaotic period, not just for, for grain prices and livestock prices, but you know, just think of how we have everything delivered to our homes now, Casey. Right. You know, we have drugs delivered to our homes. We have food delivered to our homes. Everything's delivered. Well, what if your key medication that you get every week or every month is, can't come because FedEx isn't operating or UPS is not operating or they can't get there because the logistics are all shot down? I mean, you know, what if we have not just rolling power outages? What if we have a month of no power in certain places. Right, yeah. You can't turn your heat on and you're an older person and mm-hmm. no one can even get to you to help you out. Right. I don't I don't mean like I'm not trying to I'm not trying to you know I'm just trying to you know that there's a humanitarian consequence to this weather forecast that I wish I didn't have to make. I wish I had a better forecast, but but I'd rather give the forecast, have people be aware of it, make those changes, be prepared and be okay with it than just Hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> right. Period. <laughs> yeah. Bury your yeah. head in the sand and hope nothing happens. Top deal. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm all for, you know, if a hurricane's going to come, it's going to be a category five. It's going to come right over Boca Raton where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I want to know. I'd rather know that than just be surprised. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I'm right there in the same camp as you are. So, yeah. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Um, Make sure you, you go check out his website uh, over at Hackett Finan- or HackettAdvisors.com. That's a great place to go and just see what Sean's all about, what he's got going there. So check out those sample reports. Great information, those sample reports, and you're going to get a lot of information out of those things. So so with that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron, folks.
out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. In the 21st century Hard